Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast, joining me via Zoom from his home in um, Utah, is my friend Shannon Sears. Welcome to the podcast, Shannon. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here with you. And Shannon spells his name S-H-A-N-N-O-N and Sears, S-E-A-R-S. And uh, we'll link probably to a Facebook post in the show notes that he, when he publicly came out as gay, that was a post from October 11th, 2022. He will probably touch on some of the content of that post, obviously, in this podcast, but it was a really brave post. Here's um, Shannon's outline. Um, so you kind of know what you're going to hear here. Shannon's in his 50s, so he's been on this road for a, a long time. He's going to share his story um, talk about a younger teenager, um, talk about societal views on homosexuality, homosexuality in that era, learning about and seeking help from the church, the counsel given and obeyed, marriage and family, obedience, devotion, and hyper-orthodoxy, dating, mission, marriage, children, church service, shame and depression, suicidal feelings, personal prayer at the end of my rope, the decision and path to come out, the decision to divorce, the decision to leave the church, not leave Christ, changes in church policy and teachings, things I wish straight members understood, things I wish straight members would stop saying or thinking, hidden prejudices, the things that people have done that have helped me the most. So this is... um, brave of Shannon to do this. This is a platform where we're letting LGBTQ members share a variety of stories in the hopes that younger LGBTQ people can hear these stories and with Christ um, write their own story that's authentic and right for them. Um, yes, we just like other podcasts, we do have guests that have left the church. Um, and Shannon's not asking everybody else to leave the church, but I thought that one of the things we can do as a Zion people is to support people who separate themselves from the church and continue to love and understand, and that may be the one of the benefits of this podcast for all of us. Um, before we visited, Shannon said something pretty profound. He said, I want young people in this podcast to see them the way God sees them. And I thought that was really, um, that's sort of reflective of Shannon's heart and why he wants to do this podcast is hopefully for younger LGBTQ people and us for allies and parents is to not go through the pain that Shannon went through, through these 35 years um, from a teenager to just recently when he came out and to find peace earlier in their lives and help them to see them the way God sees them. So I don't want to like be the podcast guest here and share the whole story. That's just my three and a half minute introduction. And we said a prayer. We just hope this podcast is helpful for your listeners. And it's really brave of Shannon to do this. Um, he, he admitted it's kind of draining to share his story. And so I hope that he has you know, the emotional capital to do this again. And, and this has broad reach, so it'll probably help people. Is that okay for an introduction, Shannon? Yeah, yeah, thank you. So Probably I'm more generous than I deserve. <laughs> I will just um, send this over to you to share your story. Okay. Well, you know, I, I think like 
most LGBTQ people that I've met, I I knew that I was different from a very early age. Um, I was unlike other boys that I knew. I realized I really had no physical attraction to women. Um, my emotional attachment with girls felt more like sibling affection than romance. And it sounds strange saying it now, but it was very true then that I I never thought of myself as gay. Um, gay men, when I was growing up, were always portrayed as pedophiles or ultra flamboyant caricatures of people. And I knew that I wasn't that. Uh, and I didn't want to be that. But I, I still knew there was something different with me. And I, I was afraid there was something wrong with me. And I, I wanted help. And around the time that I was a young teenager, I was starting to learn more about the church. I, I grew up um, in an inactive family. Um, my mother, who was a, a beautiful and wonderful person who I loved to death, um, was not active in the church. Um, but I had been baptized at the age of eight and then never really set foot back in church again uh, till I became a young teenager and I I wanted to be a disciple of Christ. I felt a strong connection with my Heavenly Father and I wanted to be close to Him. And so these two things kind of converged at the same time. My interest in the church and my interest in finding out why am I different? What why am I different and why am I afraid of this and what can I do? And so I went to church leaders for help as a young teenager. And that began uh, the beginning of the 35 years that we mentioned of really trying to become something that I cannot become. Um, I was told, and this, you know, I'm not going to call out any names or anybody, um, let's just say that I heard the same messages over decades from all levels of church leadership. Um, and I, what I was basically told at the time and had reinforced many times since then was that the way that I felt made me an enemy to God and his church, that this was against his will and that it was fundamentally evil. Um, being told that when you are a young person like I was is absolutely devastating. I didn't ask to be that way. I didn't do anything to be that way. But I was being told that this was what it was. And then I was offered hope. I was told that through the atonement of Christ, I could be forgiven. I could change, that there was a path that if I followed it with obedience and sincerity, I would be changed. I'd be fixed. God would fix me. I wanted nothing more than that. I, I, I wanted to be his disciple. I, I, I wanted to do what he wanted me to do. And whatever they told me to do, I'd probably do it. I, I, I wanted that. Um, you know, I didn't want to be different than anybody else, but most of all, I wanted to follow him. 
And I respected my church leaders. I thought they were wonderful men, and, and they were. Uh, you know, I, I'm not trying to vilify anybody. Um, they were very caring and compassionate toward me, and I, I loved them for that. Um, but the hope that they offered was if I followed a certain path. And I was given the book, The Miracle of Forgiveness, um, which has a section on homosexuality. Um, that honestly was quite devastating to me many times. But um, basically the path that I needed to follow was to date as many girls as I could, just date everybody, which is not bad advice, but, uh, you know, date as many girls as I could, uh, serve a mission, which is something that I had really wanted to do, um, come home, get married right away, have children, serve in the church, pay my tithing, go to the temple, you know, all of the things that are expected of all of us. But I was told that if I did this and coupled it with prayer and fasting for forgiveness and for his mercy and grace, that I would be fixed. I would be cured of this disease. Um, I remember one leader calling it that. And I was so grateful that there was a path for me, that there was a way that this could be overcome. I didn't know why it happened to me, but I was just glad that there was a way out and that these men were helping me get there. And, you know, I never knew what it was I was supposed to repent of. Um, that was never clear to me, even when I asked. I hadn't done anything, and I never did do anything. Um, so I don't, I don't know what I was supposed to be repenting of, but I, I prayed every day, sometimes multiple times a day, often in tears, um, to overcome this thing. And um, it, it, nothing ever changed. Um, I, I went on a mission. I, I dated a lot of girls. Uh, you know, I, I could say that I, I fell in love a couple of times. I thought that I did. I um, went on a mission. Uh, I had a wonderful, beautiful experience on my mission. Um, I was not there to be a missionary for the church. I was there to be a missionary for him, for the Lord. And I always saw it that way. Not that I had any problem with the church at all. Um, it was the vehicle to which I could come to Christ. And um, I loved my mission. I, I came home uh, reluctantly. I wanted to stay out there forever, I think, possibly because coming home, facing these demons that I had on my shoulders. But um, I came home. Uh, I continued to meet with church leaders and authorities. Um, who were encouraging and telling me I was doing well along that path that I was supposed to be following. The next thing to do was to get married. And I got married a little later um, after dating quite a bit. I, I married a wonderful, beautiful, amazing human being, the, the, best, the best child of God that I know. And um, I remember on our first date, uh, she asked me the question. She said, Shannon, are you gay? 
And it surprised me. And I've joked a lot about it because I've, I've told people apparently the day wasn't going as well as I thought it was. Um, but uh, joking aside, um, inside of me, I, I went through a very quick thought process, which was I'd always been told that being gay was a choice and that I was not gay. I chose not to be gay, therefore I was not. And I was living my life to not be that way, to, to be a straight person. So my answer was no, I, I'm not gay. Um, and I firmly believed that. I, I firmly believed that. And there was no deception in what I was doing. Um, you know, I think she wondered that question because we were a little bit older, I think, um, you know, being a little bit older in Utah uh, is unusual, maybe. And uh, anyway, we we got married. Um, she she was a dream to me. She was everything that I hoped for in a wife. We had children. And I remember, you know, thinking when I got engaged, finally, finally, I'm going to be fixed. Um, I'm going to be cured. Now, I should also say, I was instructed to never think about my feelings as far as same-sex attraction or being gay. To do that would be to kind of take step backwards in any progress I might have been making. And so I only I had these fleeting moments of oh, maybe I'm going to be fixed now. It wasn't something I could dwell on because I wasn't supposed to do that. So uh, I remember going on the honeymoon, coming back, and, you know, I was very happy. And I thought, I'm, I'm finally fixed. I've done all the steps. I've done everything. And uh, after about a year, I started to realize, no, I'm the same. Nothing, nothing has changed. And then I thought, well, they did say, you know, have children. So I guess that's next. And I had always wanted children. Um, I love children. And uh, we had my first daughter, um, who I am absolutely in love with. And she has made me uh, so much a better person than I would have been otherwise. But, you know, I got home from the hospital thinking, oh, Okay, this is it. I'm I'm going to be fixed, and I I wasn't. Um, they said serve in the church. Uh, I I've served in many church callings and leadership callings, and um, I served as an ordinance worker in the temple. I I did everything I was asked, and I tried to do more. Um, because two reasons, I wanted to be fixed. I wanted to be, I didn't want to be his enemy anymore. I wanted to be fixed and I wanted to be his disciple. So I did all that I could, all that I knew how to do. Um, we had two more children, I have a son and a, another daughter who are just beautiful and amazing. And I, I would say that I was happy. I had a form of happiness. I did. Um, I loved serving in the church. Um, I loved teaching people. I loved helping people. I felt that I was coming to understand Christ more each passing year. 
but I also started to feel that he was a a God that didn't apply to me. That the things I was teaching people about his unconditional love and his grace didn't apply to me. It applied to them. So I would do all that I could to help them. But it didn't apply to me. Every day for those 35 years until I came out, I felt shame. A deep, deep sense of shame. And it wasn't for anything that I had done because I hadn't done anything. It was just for existing. And I continued to have these thoughts reinforced from church leaders directly, from church leaders over the pulpit, from conference center, um, through policies and words. Um, I was still his enemy. so while I, I would say that I had happiness in my life, there was a lot of pain as well that I tried to keep buried as best I could. Um, I remember for decades, Richard, when I would find myself alone, I would burst into tears. And I, I wouldn't know why. I couldn't put my finger on it. I just knew that there was a deep sense of grief and sadness and my prayers to become fixed as I was supposed to be praying for never materialized into anything. And I felt rejected. I I felt forsaken. Obviously, I wasn't good enough um, because the promised change wasn't happening. Um, I, I I really just had to bury all of that to, to move on with my life and to be a husband and a father and a leader. And, um, I, I tried to keep it hidden. Um, I remember the, then the time when church leaders, uh, and authorities would say, they had always said before, you know, God's going to fix you. If you do this, God can change you. He has the power to change you. Then I remember the day when I was told that's not going to happen. And I I was devastated. I I had built my entire life around this promise that I had been told again and again and again. Um, in the in the miracle of forgiveness, President Kimball talks about you know, how can anyone say that the door won't open until you've flooded your knuckles 
and your head against the door. That's not an exact quote, but that's close. And I spent 35 years doing that. And then I was now finally told, no, um, that's not going to happen. And I thought I, I built my whole life around that promise and now you've taken it away. What am I supposed to do now? And the, the question that I was asked specifically was, do you love your family? And I said, of course, I, I love my family. I, I'm not an ogre. I adore my family. I, I would do anything for them. And then the response was, then you keep them together. And then I had a little instruction on how the way that I felt still was against God's will. And I was left with this idea that there's no hope for me. There is no hope. So for the next 15 years or so, maybe a little bit more, I got up every day to try to help my family come to the Lord and receive, hopefully one day, the exaltation that they should have. But I wasn't going to be there. Um, and I, I kept that facade up for about the 15 years. Um, still continuing to pray for strength to endure, to make it, to be forgiven, whatever needed to be done. And I, you know, during this time, there were moments where I felt love from God. Uh, certainly, absolutely. Uh, there were moments where I felt peace. Um, but never about that. Uh, never uh, about that. I always felt that I was just a failure. Um, then, uh, just at the beginning of the pandemic, actually, um, I was on a business trip in Europe, and I was in an accident where I uh, broke my knee, and I uh, had to be flown home right away uh, for surgery, and I was unable to walk for uh, about eight months. Um, and since it was at the beginning of the pandemic, and the pandemic started just after I got home, um, I was very isolating. Uh, so I was on very heavy medication. Uh, I couldn't walk. I was in the, the wheelchair. I couldn't go to physical therapy because of the pandemic. And, um, you know, we were all very socially cut off. It was very difficult for many, many people, if not everybody I know. Um, but for me, it was, it felt particularly isolating. I, I had to carve out, a, we carved out a bedroom on the downstairs floor so that I, we couldn't go up and downstairs. So I was alone most of the time. And um, I think all of these things together, the, the social isolation, the physical uh, isolation, um, and my natural struggles, um, really sunk me into a very deep depression, such that I had never experienced before. I, I felt absolutely hopeless. And I had been told by my, my surgeon that this could 
be a likely outcome. I would probably face this um, just even as a result of the medication that I was on. And um, he said, don't be surprised and please call this number if you need help. It, it, you know, if, if therapy is something that you're going to need, I want you to know where to get it. So I remember the day that I, I went to my wife and I said, I, I, I'm not doing well. Um, I need help and I'm going to start things, seeing the therapist. And my wife was, of course, very supportive and, and concerned about me. And, and, you know, she asked for her family to pray for me and the kids prayed for me. And, um, I started this journey of therapy, and it, it really was about trying to treat the depression. And after, I don't know how long, maybe a year, um, I, I, I told the therapist, I said, you know, I, I understand depression so much more now than I used to, and I understand firsthand the struggle that people face and how different it is than what I thought it was. And I've come to realize that I think I've been depressed most of my life. Wow. And I don't know what to do about that, but it scares me now. And she said, I, I agree with you. I, I sense that in you. And I think we should continue talking. So at this point, I was out of the wheelchair. I was walking again. I was learning how to, to walk. And I was doing better, but I still wanted to address this depression because it scared me so much. Um, and so we continued talking. And I don't, I don't recall how long it was, maybe another year or so. And during this time, I had some other things happen with friends who passed away and just a lot of sad things, you know, happened in, in that time. But there, there came a point where I told the therapist, I said, you know, I, th I think I might be gay. I had never articulated those words together before. Um, I was 48 at the time. It sounds so strange to think that I never put those words together before after everything else that I just told you, but it's true. I never articulated it that way before. And saying the words I felt like jumping off a cliff. Um, I was so scared to say it to myself. And um, she said, congratulations, Shannon, you figured it out. And I, I said, what do you mean? And she said, you are a classic textbook. And I remember saying, I thought I was special. And she's like, no, 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 you are a textbook. Um, there's nothing that unique about you. Uh, you know, just having said she, she'd counseled with a lot of conservative Christian men um, who were in this same situation. I guess she recognized where I was long before I did. And um, I continued to talk with her for a while. Um, and you know, all of this time, I was exactly obedient. I, I wasn't perfect, of course, nobody can be. 
but I was as exactly obedient as I could be. Um, I needed to be. I needed to prove that I was worth God's love, that I was worth being forgiven or accepted or changed. Um, I needed to be that example for my children because I was scared to death that somehow I would rub off on them. Um, over these years, especially over the, those last 15 years, I gradually started to withdraw from my family. Um, I threw myself into my occupation and into church service, um, both in an effort to try to prove myself, but also, I think, because I felt so unworthy of the people I loved the most. And I, I was genuinely afraid that I would be a bad influence on them somehow because I was still, the way I felt still made me an enemy to God. It, I, I didn't want that coming off on the people that I loved. Um, so, you know, my therapist encouraged me to discover if this was a path that I wanted to take, if I wanted to make a change or not. She said, you know, I'm not, I, I can't tell you how to live your life, but I will tell you this. You are the oldest man that I know who has endured this and is still alive. Wow. And um, she asked me, she said, uh, if you could just set all of your life aside for a moment, everybody you know, everything you've done, what is it that you want? And I, I said, there are two things. After I thought about it for a while, I said, I, I want to be at Christ's feet. And I want him to smile at me. That's number one. Number two, I want to fall in love with a man that I can share my life with. And she said, um, well, we talked about that for a while, and then she said, what legacy do you want to leave your children? And I, I said, I want them to be happy. I want them to find happiness on their own. I know I can't give it to them. Um, it's something that they have to find for themselves. And she said, Shannon, how are they going to know how to do this unless you as their father show them how it's done? And that, that was a, 
remarkable moment for me. Um, show them how it's done. So I, I decided I needed to stop therapy for a little while. Um, honestly, it scared me a little. I, I got a little closer to the edge than I ever thought I would. And I just needed a break. And so I stopped uh, the sessions for a while and decided I needed to make the next steps on my own. And it, this was um, around Thanksgiving or Christmas time that this happened. And I remember being close to my family. My daughter was, um, my oldest daughter had gone on a mission and she had just come home that year. And I just remember sitting there with them. My um, oldest or my youngest was just old enough to be able to go through the temple um and so we all went to the temple together as a family for the first time you know all the kids together and i just had this weighing on me of what do i do um and i was on another business trip this was in the springtime and many times over the years i had suicidal thoughts um, I'd often thought how easy it would be if I just strayed off the road a little or something. And there was long periods of time where I thought that everyone would just be better off without me. The world would be a better place if I removed this evil from the world. And, um, on this particular business trip, I, I, I drove out somewhere in, into the desert and I went to pray. And really, it, it was my last prayer because I, I knew how I was going to end it all. I'd come to this thinking that um, I couldn't do. I just couldn't continue. I couldn't move on. The burden was too heavy. And so I prayed to know, is it better for me to end all of this or to destroy my family by coming out? Because I can't continue the way I am. And I was ready to to end it. And what I felt was very unexpected. Um, I felt a sense of love that was a depth of which I'd never felt before. I I had never felt that much acceptance and love, especially in light of what I had just said and admitted to what I was and articulated to God what I was. I'd never done that before. I'd always prayed for forgiveness and strength, 
And this time I couldn't. I just threw up my hands and I said, I can't do it. And I felt complete acceptance. And I felt the words as clear as day, which were, I never intended to fix you, Shannon. There is nothing wrong with you. I wasn't expecting that answer. I really was not. And I I felt the words, maybe they don't want you, but you don't belong to them, you belong to me. And that was the day that I knew I had to come out. And I, I, after many tears and somehow I, I made it back to my hotel and I started to write a letter to my wife that I knew that I would read to her as soon as I was done. It took me a few months to finish it. Um, it was the most difficult thing that I have ever done in my life to talk to my wife and my children because I knew that I would be ending our family. Although, you know, I've told my kids, we will always be a family. We, we just look a little different now than we did before. We'll always be mom and dad and the kids, uh, but we aren't going to be husband and wife anymore. Um, my wife was completely caught off guard. Um, one of the things that I had been told during all of this was to never discuss my feelings. Um, and I was obedient to that. Uh, she had no idea. She knew I was struggling, I think, emotionally, but she didn't know about all that I had felt all of these years. And it was very important to me that she knew that this wasn't her fault, that it wasn't because she wasn't complete. Um, she was the best thing that had ever happened to me and continues to be the most remarkable person I know. Um, the simple fact was that I I didn't deserve her. I, I, I wasn't wired for this. And um, this life that appeared so perfect on the outside didn't fit me. It, I tried, I really tried to make it fit and it just led to despair. Um, so I told my wife the whole story 
um, that I, I just told you. Maybe a few more details in there. But uh, she stopped me before I was finished. And she wrapped her arms around me and said, Shannon, you're a good man. You're a good husband, and you have been a good father, and you are not evil. And I love you, no matter what happens next. Wow. You know, when I told her that we needed to talk, and I led her upstairs to have this conversation, I really felt like I was about to jump out of an airplane without a parachute. And um, she she set her own pain and feelings aside for a little while to be that parachute for me. And she, if it wasn't for her, I, I wouldn't be here. Um, she really saved my life. Um, and so I, I told her, I said, you know, I love you. I love you more than anyone, but I, I can't keep doing this. I, I need a divorce. I, I just, I can't do this. You deserve more than this. I, I can't do it. And, um, she understood. And so the next day we told my children. And we sat down in the living room, sitting next to each other, holding hands. And you uh, we sitting and facing couches. And I told my kids, Dad's going to cry now. And uh, I told them a version of, of everything. I didn't tell them everything because it's a lot to swallow. But um, my my youngest leapt up and came and sat on my lap and said, Daddy, I love you. You need to stop abusing yourself. She's only 11. I don't know where those words came from. You need to stop abusing yourself and you need to be happy. You will always be my daddy and I will always love you. And needless to say, my children have been wonderful and supportive, each in their own way. And I, I I don't want to minimize the pain and the struggle that my family has gone through. Um, it has been devastating. But we are still mom, dad, and the kids. And we still love each other very much and are dedicated to each other's happiness. And so I, you know, I look forward to moving on and I have been 
happier over the past year. It's been a year since I came out. And I I have hope maybe for the first time in my life where the shame disappeared uh, that day that I offered that prayer. The shame just evaporated and never came back. Um, but it would be wrong of me to say that I didn't feel guilt at what I brought upon my family from that point. And as I started to feel more hopeful and more positive in my own life, it's very hard for me to look across the road at my wife and my children and see the difficulty that my choice brought upon them. Um, and I have faith and I believe in answer to prayers that the Lord knows and loves them and that I did what he wanted me to do when I came out and when I left. And so I have to believe that he, he has a way for them and knows what they need and is going to help me take care of them. Um, or maybe I'm going to help him take care of them. I don't know how, <laughs> which way to phrase it. But um, I just I don't want to minimize the the pain that they're going through because it's it's nice to say oh all is well now well things are better now but it's not it wouldn't be accurate to say all is well now it's still a, a, a real struggle um, but that's that's what happened um, that's that's what led to my coming out last year. That's what led to the, the post that you referred to earlier. Um, I we, we separated last year uh, rather quickly. We separated. My, my wife uh, very wisely suggested that um, we, we should separate soon. Um, I think she realized that she could not be my parish uh, for very long, and she was right. Um, and nor could I be hers. Um, we're, it, it was too painful for both of us, and we needed to find support somewhere else. So my therapist um suggested I, I started going back to therapy after this I it's very much needed but um my therapist suggested that I uh, interact with other gay men um first to overcome this really extreme homophobia that I had um and to catch a glimpse of of this world um I was on the verge of you know, when she told me this, actually, I, I got a little ahead of myself. When she told me this originally, I was on the verge of trying to decide what to do. Was I going to come out? Was I going to seek a divorce? Was I? What was I going to do with the church? Um, but my therapist said, you know, you, you should meet people. You should get to know them one-on-one. -on -one. I think that you will find that 
LGBTQ people are different than you may think that they are, and they may be different than you've been taught. And I think you'll find that you don't need to be afraid. And so I met somebody online um, from literally clear across the world, actually, um, all the way in New Zealand. Uh, I figured that was a pretty safe distance. And uh, th this individual was fantastic. We were fast friends. He didn't scare me. Um, he was caring, compassionate. He had good moral standards. He was just a good person. And he helped me to realize that there are good men out there who are gay. That sounds awful, but um, it's a lesson that I had to learn. And these men aren't all variations of demons that I had come to expect. Um, his story was very different than mine. He has a different religious and social background. But we listened to each other and we learned from each other. And he talked me away from the cliff many times and gave me reassurance that I wasn't alone. Um, and we still keep in touch. Um, since then, I've had the chance to become more involved in the LGBTQ community. Uh, I've made many friends. And by and large, they are wonderful beautiful, caring people. Uh, most have a shared pain or a trauma that they're coming from. And I think that's because most of us grew up in a world that either rejected us or told us that we were evil or bad or that we're very hesitant to accept us. And that kind of experience can be very damaging. But when you're able to finally emerge from it, um, many are able, able to leverage that into a deep sense of compassion for others, uh, a deep sense of compassion for anybody else that might be out there that's hurting or who is marginalized. And my friends in the LGBTQ plus community are simply among the very best people that I've ever met. I've talked for a long time. I think I, uh, I need a drink. <laughs> <laughs> Take a drink. Um, well, I, I mean, I guess that's my, that's my coming out story. I, um, there's some other things I wanted to mention, but that's, um, I'm, I'm going to pause for a few minutes just to catch my thoughts and, uh, well, see if you have any questions for me. Um, on behalf of our listener, Shannon. Um, this is really helpful podcast, and you're very brave um, to share the core feelings that you've experienced and um, the pain, the perspective, your journey. Um, it's not an easy story to tell, but it's a very helpful story to our community, to younger LGBTQ, to recognize um, the journey you've had, the things you've learned, and things that people can learn earlier in their life these are i'd love you to because there's some more on your outline but i'll just <clears throat> listeners like i do sometimes these are the things that i wrote down um this is the first thing i wrote down was actually from an earlier podcast andrew white who said i always thought i would be rewarded with being straight for all the work i did now i i believe that i'm blessed by being gay um ben Chilotti is talked about the atonement he thought the atonement like you would make me straight but it helped heal my broken heart um 
I wrote down here, respect Shannon for talking to leaders and trusting leaders with, um, and the vulnerability to open up about your sexual orientation and, and following their counsel, which often at times was not helpful. And I think that's part of when we know better, we do better. And that's part of the platform here is to help leaders, you know, because I had no experience in this space when I became a YSA bishop and had priestly responsibility for a couple of gay men. I wish I'd listened to these kind of podcasts earlier because um, I wanted to do the right thing and not add to someone's burden. And so I recognized that there was significant pain. Um, I loved your answer you gave to your, you know, your girlfriend at the time, your wife, and um, that you weren't gay. And I think that was an authentic answer based on everything you were taught and what um, our church had said. And so I don't think you had your head in the sand. And um, I think you were just giving an honest answer um, at the time. And I love throughout the whole podcast, your tribute to your wife. Um, I got some tears in my eyes when you talk about her. And the wonderful woman she is. Um, I wrote down here about shame. Shame is a key theme in this podcast. And talking about these tender subjects is the goal is to reduce shame. I think shame is one of Satan's greatest tools to separate us from the love of God. And that's certainly a theme of your podcast. Um, and this experience you had, I think, in the desert where you drove off. Um, I had shame for existing, not for anything I've done. Um, and shame is, you know, a learned thing, listeners, that came into your life um, because of the things our church and society said about people like you. And um, that's, you know, heartbreaking and something that I believe I'm an active Latter-day Saint listeners. And I believe without policy changes or doctrinal changes, we can eliminate the shame that LGBTQ people feel. Um, by helping them feel that they're created as intended and just as part of your personal story. Um, let's see. I love your therapist. Congrats, congratulations, Shannon. You figured this out. I love your therapist was um, let you self-determine. I think good therapists help people understand what's going on in their lives and let them self-determine without may, perhaps their own personal agenda. And I sent you at a terrific therapist who let you do that the way you needed to do that and didn't get ahead of your story by writing your story for you um, and suggesting you were gay earlier in the session. So I think that's a great principle that we all can learn is just how your therapist role modeled this with you. Um, let's see. Um, I can't read my own writing here, listeners. <laughs> Um, but I, this, I think what I'm reading here is just that I'm, oh, I was exactly obedient, but I'm still not worth God's love. Um, no one should feel that way. Um, I'm unworthy of the people I love the most. I felt as if I'm an enemy to God. And sometimes we create this common enemy intimacy listeners. It's a Brene Brown thought is that we create community around other groups of people that we fear are a threat to us, but often those people are sitting in our families, in our pews. And I think about the life of Christ, and I don't think he did that. I think he created a feeling of love for everybody, and he didn't 
still taught obedience, still taught, you know, the doctrine that Christ taught, but he didn't need to do that on the backs of another group of people. And culturally, we sometimes do that in society with politics, even in our own church. We can just have fact-based discussions without creating enemies. Um, You're not an enemy. Um, I loved, you know, your goal with your therapist again. I want to, you know, be at Christ's feet and have him smile at me. And I love that you were honest with your therapist as I want to fall in love with a man and share my life with a man. I think it's a good thing for people to open up about the hopes in their hearts, even if those are hard to hear or not consistent with church teachings. I think it's a good ministering principle, good friendship principle, a good parenting principle is to let people open up about what's in their heart. And to be able to have a relationship where people feel safe opening up about the true feelings in their heart, I think that's a good thing. Um, and I love your prayer, uh, just this tender prayer where there's nothing wrong with you, Shannon, um, and how the shame just evaporated in that. And I love the changing of that prayer. Um, it wasn't a prayer to be fixed, as you said. It wasn't a prayer of what to do next. It was just a prayer of, God, how do you feel about me, your gay son? And um, we teach that in the church, hear him, talk to him, and you've modeled that in this in your life, and I would encourage everybody to continue to do that. Um, I also encourage us not to make somebody the hero one day and for being in the church and being LGBTQ and a villain the next day, I think we're all the same children of heavenly parents doing the best we can. So I think we can just leave judgment at the feet of our Savior and, and love everybody. I don't think it's a false dichotomy that to fully love and follow God, we need to stop loving some of his children. And I think people do best when they feel loved. And um, I love that you continue to just love you know your former wife and talk about her in such kind terms. When a marriage ends up, listeners, I don't try to find out sort of the backstory or who's the hero or the villain. I think if I spend all my mental energy on that, it eliminates my ability to minister and to support and love. It's not my job to figure out the backstory. My curiosity might be there. That's probably natural, but I figure I'm just going to you know, try to love both partners. Of course, if I'm closer and a family member with one, it changes that a little bit. But I try to say kind things about both people because um, I think that's what Jesus would do. And that also creates a feeling that we're a safe person as people want to open up. So those are some of my thoughts, listeners. I'm also grateful for your friend Max, kind of a joint friend um, that connected us and read your Facebook post and thought you'd be a great guest for the podcast. So thank you, Max. This is a really helpful podcast. But you're not done. You've got some more points of your outline. So I'm sending it back to you, Shannon. Okay, thank you. I, um, you know, one of the things I wanted to, to talk about a little bit was now that it's been a year since I've come out, um, a little bit about what happened after that and some of the things that I wish that people who are straight in the church understood better. And maybe help to delve a little bit into some hidden prejudices that I have found. And honestly, they were prejudices that I shared myself. 
Um, you know, being gay doesn't mean you don't have these prejudices yourself. Um, and maybe some of the things that were helpful and unhelpful to me, because I imagine that almost everybody that is in your audience knows or is going to know somebody on this path. Um, one thing that I, I'd say is that so many people, and, and you know, last year I moved back from the East Coast to Utah. And um, it's it's really been a struggle uh, to come back to Utah. Um, people think that I'm knowingly doing something wrong or unnatural. But the fact is, this is how I am wired. Um, it's been over a year since I came out, as I said, and after coming out, and separating, filing for divorce, and all of that. I've now been on dates with several men. And I remember one date that I had where we went hiking, uh, something that we both like to do. And just walking next to him, I felt butterflies in my stomach. I thought he was handsome. My heart was racing. My pulse was just accelerated. I had honestly never felt that way before. I dated a lot before I got married, a lot of girls before I got married, but I had never had that feeling before. Holding hands was something that I liked to do, um, whether it was with girls that I dated or with my wife, I enjoyed it. And like holding hands with them was like holding hands with my little daughter. It was nice. It was sweet. But when I was on this hiking date, as we were walking next to each other and as we were having a good conversation and we'd occasionally bump into each other on the trail, at some point I asked him if I could hold his hand and he said yes. And when I reached out for his hand, it was absolutely electric. I couldn't breathe. It, it was just an electric feeling. And I realized this was what all of those movies and all of those songs are about. As much as I had loved my wife for all of those years, I had really never comprehended that that spark could be real. My lack of feeling this before had nothing to do with my wife. It was all about how I am wired. And I remember holding hands with a girlfriend in high school thinking, this is great. This is nice. I'm supposed to do this. And it, there was satisfaction for doing what seemed like the right thing to do. But there wasn't a spark there. Um, frankly, I didn't think a spark was possible, that it was real. I just thought it was something that Hollywood made up. But I felt it for the first time on that trail. And it was real. And it was the most natural thing in the whole world to me. So when somebody says that what you want is not natural, I don't know what they're talking about. Um, heterosexuality is just as odd to me as homosexuality is to most of you. I was told and shown countless examples of this is how it's supposed to be, but that never changed the reality of what felt natural to me. Um, 
being gay is not the same as saying that somebody is a broken straight person. And I had to stop thinking of myself as a broken straight person. Um, but most of the attitudes that people have seem to reflect that premise that I am a broken straight person. Uh, I've heard it many times people say, don't define yourself by your sexuality. I've heard that from leaders and members alike. And I, I just have to ask, what does that even mean? Um, I fully understand that sexuality is just one part of who we are, but it is a foundational part of who we are. Homosexuality is as much a part of me as being straight is a part of most of you. And I want to tell these people, okay, stop defining yourself by your sexuality. Show me how it's done. Because I don't know what it looks like. I, I don't know what that means. And I please don't tell anybody to not define themselves by their sexuality. It, it doesn't help. Um, some people have tried to draw a comparison between being gay and having a physical impairment. Um, the attempted equivalence here is that if you are gay, you should remain alone. That's the church's stand right now. And that this is your mortal challenge. And that this is not unlike the mortal challenge of having a physical handicap that might make it unlikely that someone that you might fall in love with, you know, that you might fall in love and find a spouse. And I find this to be very flawed and very unhelpful. Um, while it's true that some people who have a severe physical impairment may not have the opportunity for marriage, if that person did find somebody to love and who wanted to join in a marriage with them, we would be very encouraging and happy for them. But if you're gay, you shall not have that opportunity. Uh, there is no equivalence in that comparison. Um, well, a common thing probably the most common difficulty that I have faced when I have talked with friends um, who are still very active in the church is that they feel that they have to craft their words to me in such a way that they teach me and remind me of the doctrine. In other words, they want to show love without showing acceptance. This is damaging. I'm not asking for people to go out and um, do something they don't believe in. You know, there's a, a post I reposted on my Facebook page that says, um, if you're against gay marriage, then just say no to the next gay person who asks you to marry them. Um, so I'm not asking for that, but I am asking for acceptance. I. When I prayed in that desert a year ago, I felt acceptance. If we want to minister the way that Christ ministers, we'll do it the way that he did. We will love the way that he loves. And, you know, when the, when the Lord performed the atonement, he didn't do it from a position of authority or a position of dogma or doctrine. He didn't do it to teach a lesson. 
He just suffered. And he did it because he loved us and he wanted to understand us. There was no other agenda there. There was no, I need to teach you a lesson or I need to remind you of this rule. It was love and it was acceptance. And I think if we are to minister the way he ministers, that's the way we'll do it. Um, choosing to, to leave the church was the second hardest thing I've ever done. I dedicated my whole life to it. Um, I did everything that I was told, and I believed all of it. I desperately wanted it to work. Um, but while I built my life around the assurances and the instructions I was given, the rules kept changing. Um, first, being gay was a choice. Then decades later, it wasn't a choice. Being gay was something that you could fix. It's a disease that can be cured. Now it's not a disease. I was quoted the miracle of forgiveness so many times and told to read it so many times, um, where he says, how can you say the door cannot be opened until your knuckles are bloody, till your head is bruised, till your muscles are sore? It can be done. Well, then one day, it couldn't be done. The church's teachings and actions are always that the idea of same-sex marriage was beyond reprehensible and would effectively destroy God's plan. And after years of rhetoric and efforts to outlaw gay marriage, uh, working behind the scenes and constitutional amendments in the states, and after so much rhetoric, they recently threw their support behind a federal law protecting same-sex marriage. I'm grateful for that, but it's confusing. The church enacted a policy to forbid the children of gay parents to be baptized or to receive priesthood ordinations. This was devastating to me personally. Of course, I wasn't out at the time, and I had never taken action on my natural inclinations, like I said before. But this really caused me to struggle. My son was just at the age to be ordained, and my youngest was at the age of baptism. And all I could think of was who... I am inside means that my children can't be baptized, can't be ordained, can't go to the temple. It's because of me until they turned 18 and would need to denounce me. That really hit me hard. But I defended that policy. I stood up and I defended it. It was backed up by specific language of being revelation. This was what the Lord wanted and what he thought about me, and I defended it. And then a few years later, after media scrutiny and some damage to individuals and families that were affected, the policy was reversed. I was relieved, but very confused. Does this mean that the Lord changed his mind? I was told early on that I needed to find a good girl to marry. Um, then after years of marriage, I learned that that's no longer the official counsel that's given. Yet today, it's still something told to individuals privately and by general and local authorities. It just kills me that this sort of guidance is still being given. 
that guidance never saved anyone. The church fought hard against the idea and the legality of gay marriage, like I talked about before. Um, they claimed to be protecting traditional marriage as though making gay marriage illegal would somehow reduce the number of gay people in the world. Well, even the phrase reduce the number of gay people in the world presupposes that gay people are undesirable and should be reduced. Of course, the church wasn't the only organization or group that sought these legal restrictions and that tried to do this, but the effect of the rhetoric and the efforts on people like me and all of the closeted LDS gay people out there was clear. Who we are is against the Lord's will and against the Lord's plan. You don't fit. And it, it was just devastating. Um, a lot of people think that being gay is the result of some tragic event, whether it's bad parenting or sexual abuse or something like that. It's as though who you are can only be explained as the result of something horrible that happened. That's devastating. People tell me, well, the church is more tolerant now than it's ever been before. I don't know one gay person that wants to be tolerated. I don't know one person who wants to be tolerated, period. We want to be loved. We want to be accepted. I've had so many friends and family members ask me, did you pray about this? Did you pray about the guidance that you were given? You know, I was a young teenager when I first started this journey. I guess the supposition behind their question is that all of this is my fault, because the church couldn't have caused this pain for me. And I want to ask, did I pray about what? If a senior priesthood authority sitting before me claiming to represent Christ was right or wrong about outlining what path I should take? They weren't giving me suggestions. They were giving me instructions. I was being obedient. The idea of personal revelation wasn't the order of the day. The order of the day was obedience. So, no, I didn't go pray whether or not church authorities were right about me. I put all of my energy into following the guidance I was given. And the idea that personal revelation might deviate from specific counsel of junior, senior church leaders is the seed of apostasy. The praying that I did was to ask for forgiveness, as I was told, to ask to be fixed, to ask to be cured. That was the praying that I did. Um, and I, I guess at some point, Richard, I realized that life was a game that I couldn't win. I could never win. I lost before it even started. And I guess that for most people who are not directly affected by these particular church teachings or practices or policies, that all of these might just be academic and somewhat easy to look past. 
But many of us have tried to live our lives in accordance with these things. And these things caused great damage to us. And for those of us in this situation who got married and caused damage to the people that we love the most, um, you know, I, I don't regret getting married. I don't regret having children. I love them far too much for that. And it's worthless for me to go back and say, well, what if? Uh, there's no point in that. But I have to acknowledge the damage that's there that didn't have to happen. Um, and I, I once told a friend that it was this prophetic hubris, this idea that this leader in front of me knows what's best for me and expects my obedience that was the most damaging. I think if I had been told as a young teenager or a missionary or a young adult when I was being counseled by a church authority, you know, Shannon, I'm just not sure yet. The Lord just hasn't revealed what this means yet. I think if that's what I had been told, my life would have been very different. But that's not what happened. Individually and as part of a larger church, I was handed the opinions of men as revelation. You know, some of us are just trying to live our lives as best we can in the midst of changing attitudes and policies and teachings out there. And I just got to the point where I realized that I can't live my life waiting for them to figure out what to do with me. And it was only when I finally bypassed those people and those inconsistent messages that I finally found peace. I found direction. Um, I cannot reconcile my experience that's personal with church teachings or the statements of church authorities. I can't reconcile that for myself. And so I chose to leave the church uh, because I felt that that's what I was led to do. Um, you know, I, I'm always being told there's a place for you here. And I I wish that were true. Um, I, I hear changes on the way. You can't live your life waiting for some anticipated doctrinal change. Um, in the end, the LDS doctrine is that exaltation is dependent upon marriage between a man and a woman. And for God to have children who don't fit that paradigm means that he has children who are born without a pathway to exaltation. To hypothesize and believe anything outside of that doctrine, by definition, is the basis of apostasy. You can't wait for a change in doctrine. Doctrine doesn't change. Policies change. And so... There's many who seem to believe that God will change or fix his children who are gay in the next life. And I think these people are trying to interpret a challenging situation through a narrow understanding of the way that things are supposed to be. They don't try to understand us, nor do they consider that God has broader plans than they might be aware of. My personal experience with the attitude that God will fix me is probably born out of a desire to make everything good again. I think that's why they told me that, to be reassuring. But in fact, it's not kind at all. 
to tell me that is very cruel. The paradigm is exactly what caused a lifetime of shame and heartache for me. I think it was offered as a message of hope, but what I want people to know is that the result was that it was a message that you are horribly broken. Not because of your own actions, but because of who you are inside. People need to stop saying this. When I obtained an answer directly to prayer about who I was, the answer that I felt, like I said, was, you are just as you should be. You are not broken. You don't need to be fixed. You're my, you're my child, and you are as beautiful and good as you should be. And this doesn't mean I'm perfect. It doesn't mean that I don't need his atonement or that I don't need to change and improve in my life. I certainly do. But it does mean I'm not fundamentally flawed, as I was always taught. Um, and so I, I, I made that decision to leave, and it's the right decision for me, and I don't fault anyone for choosing to stay. I, whatever your path with God is like, I respect that, and my only concern is that you know that God loves you and values you as you are. Um, you know, Christ spent a lot of his ministry ministering to those on the periphery, um, and I've always felt drawn there myself. I've always joked with friends that I always felt that I was on the island of misfit toys. Uh, when it comes to service, you know, I, I will not be given the opportunity to serve anymore in the church. And I know that service is much deeper than just a calling that we might be issued. But when they say there's a place for you here, I'm not sure where that place is or that I would want to be there. And I feel that this, where I am now, is where I'm meant to be. And I'm not suggesting that I was born gay so that I could minister to other people. This is just who I am, and I believe this is what he would have me do. This is my heart, and I'm going to use it to serve him the best way that I can. Thank you, Shannon. Do you have more, anything else you'd like to share? Oh, gee, I've talked so much. <laughs> I, I, I would say one last thing. Um, this is something that I've faced since coming out. Um, just one last thought, and that's regarding trans uh, folks. I... Trans isn't something that I understand very well. Um, it isn't, it's just not something that I have had to face myself or needed to deal with. Um, but my experience as a gay man who was closeted for so long, I realized that I'm someone who's not understood by most people around me either. And I'm able to use that to extend grace and understanding to others that I might not understand. A good friend gave me a framework to try to understand better. He said, he asked me one day, what would happen if you woke up tomorrow as a woman? Now, of course, that's an extreme hypothetical, but, you know, I ran with it. 
And I told him I would hate it. That's not who I am. I'm not a woman. Uh, I like being a man. And as I said those words, I started to hear how it echoed what I have heard from trans people. This is not who I am. And I started in a small hypothetical way to understand. I realized that when confronted with something that I don't understand, something that contradicts my understanding of the world, I need to step back, remember what is most important, remember what the master taught, and react with genuine Christ-like love, period. They aren't the ones who need to change. I'm the one who needs to change. And if I'm willing to love and let go of my prejudices, then God can work with me. It's a beginning. It's a beginning to seeing these people the way he sees them. And, you know, I used to look at the world as very black and white. And I I told a friend of mine, uh, actually it was the guy that I went on the date with the hype with, uh, told him that, I was starting to realize that life was a lot more gray than I supposed. And he said, you know, Shannon, life isn't gray. Life is full of color. And I realized my whole perspective on the world needed to change a bit. Um, But having said that, in a world that isn't black and white, in a world with lots of shades of gray, and lots of colors and lots of difficult challenges and difficult questions that don't fit the mold. Christ taught, as I have loved you, love one another. I think his answer to the most difficult questions is, as I have loved you, love one another. He doesn't attempt to answer a little question that we have or solve every little problem. He just wants us to love the way he does. And as strange as it may sound to some people, I find that I am able to do that better now than I was before. And I find myself finally feeling like maybe he is smiling at me. Thank you, Shannon. Um, On behalf of all of our listeners, um, thank you for your courage to share your story. Um, And your story helps others. Listeners, just some closing thoughts is one of the themes this podcast, if you're LGBTQ, is you've got to write your own story. Um, And one of the feelings I have is that um, more Latter day Saints are sort of owning this part about themselves so they're not straight in their teens and 20s before these forks in the road. Shannon really couldn't do that um, in his day, in his 20s, um, given the counsel he was given. But younger Latter-day Saints are able to ask God and uh, more people are out. There's more rep presence and sort of write your own story. And you know the forks in the road and be the very best personal best you can be when you write these forks in the road. This podcast is supportive of people in same-sex marriages. That's outside the teachings of our church, but I don't believe outside of the love that we should have for each other. This podcast is supportive of people that go into mixed-orientation marriages. And 
I think that's best done when people talk about it in the dating process and get personal revelation. And we've had guests on the podcast that that is their road and we're supportive of that road. I think it's just back to people need to self-determine and own versus the voices around them telling them how to do this. And there are people on this podcast that have felt impressed to be celibate. And that's a valid path. And Shannon's not saying that those other paths aren't valid. He's just sharing his story. And his story helps all of us better support others. And especially for you that are younger, to write your story and use the principles that Shannon's um, shared. Um, One of the things that Shannon, when he talks about painful church experiences, my my younger self would get very defensive of that as an active Latter-day Saint or difficult church leader experience. My older self, who's still supportive of our church and active Latter-day Saint, has learned at Georgia to just sit with Shannon and, and not have him and validate his pain and um, do that and feel like that's the best ministering thing I can do, um, is just to validate Shannon's experience, um, even if I haven't experienced it or I might see things a little differently. And I just, that's the way I approach these stories when it's kind of painful to hear about if you're active LDS, an organization you love, you believe in, you support, and to hear people that are having different experiences. So I think that's just how I handle that. And I probably have felt intuitively that honoring their pain and validating their pain doesn't drive any wedge between them and the church deeper, but it might just help them move on. Um, I don't do that then with an agenda to think they'll come back. I just want them to feel peace in their life. One of the things that is the goal of this podcast, and Shannon does this in his story, is we need to learn to unteach old things. We don't actively unteach very well in our church. And so I know when I came into my YSA assignment, I hadn't been untaught some of the things that Shannon was told to do. Um, I was aware of those and and so Shannon just has done what he's been asked to do. And um, so I think that's one of the things that we can do better in our church is unteach things. We don't teach that, and Shannon's gone through that. I won't re- recap that. Um, but that if you're a local leader or a parent, I think that's something that you can do is in your f- circle of influence is go to the church's website um, and talk about what we actually teach. We don't teach this as a choice and you can unchoose it. And if and that's the church teaching. So that puts all the responsibility on us, the body of Christ, to improve the experience for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints and acknowledge how complicated their path is. Um, so the other thing I've learned to do is to try to thank people that have left the church for their decades of service in the church. Um, I think we, we should be as kind to people considering joining our church as we are to people that are considering leaving or have left. That's a kind of a new space for me. I And so my younger self would never have thought this. My older self would say, Shannon, thank you for decades of service, hundreds and hundreds of hours. The mission you serve, the lives that are closer to Christ because of your service, um, the tithing that you paid. Um, thank you for all that you've done to bless people's lives through your service in our church. There's hundreds of people that are better off because of their connection with God through our church because of you. 
and the things you've taught them, the love you've showed. And I, I think we can do a better job of, of thanking people that have left the church. I don't think that causes more people to leave the church, to be kind for people that have stepped away. I think it's just what Jesus would do. Um, I don't think we sell out our church teachings to be kind to people that have stepped away from the church. I just think it's what's required of, at least that's the way my interpretation of my baptism commandments. Yeah, I can do that, invite people to stay and people that are investigating the church. I can be excited for them and everybody's on their own journey, but I think it's helpful to be kind to people that have stepped away the church and and not make shaming comments or not say if you prayed about it, just honor their personal revelation. Um, it's not our job to judge their personal revelation. I think we just honor their journeys and support them. So these are things that come to my mind and as I listen to Shannon's stories and so many of these stories. Um, thank you, Shannon, for being on the podcast and sharing your story. And I'm glad you're alive. I recognize that you might not be here to share this story. And and um, we could be, and I think we all know that that would be much harder on your family. Um, you um, dying by suicide than you uh, moving on with your life the best way you know how, given the realities of who you are and what's possible in your life. And and so if you're in the fork in the road where you're wondering if it's better to not be alive or to come out, I think you've got to do what Shannon did. You've first got to come out to God and find out how God feels about you and come out to yourself and get rid of internalized homophobia that you might have. And then I think you'll have clarity for your next steps. Um, and they may be the same as Shannon's or they may be different, but then you're coming from a position of strength that you know how God feels about you and you feel the shame that Shannon talked about is gone from you. And then I think you're in a better position, a position of strength, um, cause you're in a good spot emotionally and spiritually to decide what's next in your life. So those, I'm not therapist listeners, I'm small business owner, so I don't claim to know how to navigate this road, but I've just heard hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories. And so these are some of the themes that come to my mind as I hear Shannon's story. So I'm done talking. Shannon, do you have any last closing comments or anything I've said you don't agree with and you want to kind of make sure that we're pointing in the right direction for your story? No, I, I'm very grateful for this podcast, uh, for your efforts individually, your your labor of love here. I think you have helped a lot of people and will continue to. And I, I wish I'd found this many years ago. I think it, it might have eased my journey a little bit. One thing I, I might add is I can't underscore the value of therapy. Um, it truly helped me. So, yes. Go to the Lord, develop that relationship with Him, understand how He feels about you. That's one thing. And then maybe the second step somewhere in there is some professional guidance. These are difficult things, and we aren't meant to go through life alone. Agreed. Um, listeners in the show notes, I'll link to Shannon's Facebook post. It's a really good post. I think it's public. So even if you're not friends with Shannon, I think that'll show up because it showed up for me before I was Shannon's Facebook friend. And so we'll list list that in the show notes. I always put um, in the show notes a Facebook we have, which is Ministering to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. 
It's just people, LGBTQ and allies that are focused on this common goal. How can we prove the experience of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints in our circle of influence? There's about 3,000 in that group. I linked to um, the book I wrote, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints at Desert Book and Amazon. It has a section on mixed orientation marriages and sort of um, it's consistent with what Shannon has shared and what we've discussed on the podcast. So if you're new to the podcast, those are a couple of things that you want to go a little deeper. But this is Richard Osler and Shannon Sears um, signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>